Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the JGA7, a season of seven episodes looking at trends, insights and the future of business activity. Today we're going to pose the question, is leadership in everyone? I am joined by two guests today who will explore this question with me. Hello, um, I'm Lisa Ward, I'm from Team Roles in Cambridge. And hello, I'm uh, Tom Lowe and I'm from National Highway. Today, we are going to consider leadership from different perspectives. Now, looking in the dictionary, we can define leadership as action of leading a group of people or an organization or state or position of being a leader. And looking at a bit of research, society's perception gives us examples of leaders such as Winston Churchill, Margaret Thatcher, Nelson, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and that was all from a BBC survey in 2002. And other names that popped to mind in other surveys are the likes of uh, Diana, Princess of Wales, Charles Darwin, Queen Elizabeth II, Richard Branson, Nelson Mandela. So is leadership skills in everyone, Lisa? In my opinion, leaders are not born, but instead they're kind of made through a series of experiences while developing a true understanding of themselves. Um, and during this time, and as they're growing and um, developing that self-awareness, they'll be understanding their behavioral strengths and managing um, those wonderful strengths and also those weaknesses. A true leader is more than a manager. Uh, they enlist people to be part of their vision and inspire them to, walk, to work towards a greater good. Leaders, most good leaders that I know are willing to roll up their sleeves and do the work or know when to delegate that task to someone else. And I think the list that you just talked about, list the fantastic people um, that you mentioned, they all have wonderful strengths and great, great qualities and strengths. But the other thing they all have in common is that they have a great team around them. Um, and I'm going to quote Meredith Bellman here, um, one of his most famous quotes, nobody's perfect, but a team can be. What about you, Tom? Um, when I work, um, when I do my work with Bellman and we work with lots of companies globally, but we also get to work with um, young adults from around 16 to 21. And when I work with them, I often say, or ask them, who is your superhero? Who's the person that you really look up to and think, I want to be like you at some point in my life? What would you say about that, Tom? I think as a, in the celebrity world itself, I'd say Sir David Attenborough, I'd say is my superhero. And I feel like the reasons for that are he's been a leader in the environmental industry for a very, very long period of time. So he's built that respect for everyone. I also love that he's inspiring the next generation of people like youngsters because the young, the young people of the world are going to control what the environment's like in the future. And from a personal point of view, <laughs> um, my dad is the biggest inspiration to me. Um, throughout my dad's career, he's gone from uh, job to job to job bless him um, and he's been working with the different managers throughout his time just kind of said what works well what doesn't with management styles he leads a, a team of three people in his team and my dad's leadership qualities which I think he's learned from his time 
he's built up that trust of his team, he's, he's personal with them, he's caring, his empathy is fair, because even though my dad's business is a very busy environment, he knows he has to be fair with the workload to everyone, so he spreads it out, gives everybody breaks, so they feel like he doesn't get on top of them, because I always feel like in a team, if everybody likes each other and happy with the management style, they not go the extra mile to get the work done as well. Great answers. I think it's so sweet that you've mentioned your dad and somebody as amazing as uh, Sir David Attenborough. I think what we you know, established and what you were saying, Tom, is a leader is not somebody who's just in charge. And, and sadly, a lot of people want that leadership or management title because they want to be in charge. And that's really the wrong reasons, isn't it? So looking at the Belbin model, is there leadership attributes in every team role? This is a really interesting question um, and it's something we get asked quite a lot and also there's some sort of stigma because some people when they do their Belden report and I don't know because I know Tom um, you're an apprentice you're doing apprenticeship at the moment I know when you did yours I don't know if you were like oh I want to be this or I want to be that but a lot of people do label certain roles as being better at leadership. Um, and I'm sorry to disappoint you all, but actually every single one of the nine Belden team roles, every one of them can be a great leader. Um, and it's really focusing in what I said earlier in terms of understanding those wonderful strengths of each role um, and really playing to those strengths as much as you can. And that's building our self-awareness uh, levels and our congruence levels. Um, and understanding that also nobody's one fit, you know, we're not, we can't be put into a box, we're much too exciting and interesting and three dimensional to be one thing. So our second and third roles um, are going to have a huge impact on our first. So for example, a lot of people want to be a shaper for some reason or a coordinator and I think they see that those roles are going to get things done, they're good with people, um, they're going to facilitate really well. But actually, you know, they do need the combination of those other roles coming through too. Um, and actually, we're going to look at a little bit later on, we're going to look at Tom's report um, and his two roles, which are quite interesting because Tom's got two Belvin opposites um, as his top two roles. So it's about playing them and being aware and understanding how you can really um, play to the strengths as much as you possibly can. Obviously, other things come into it. Um, we talk a lot about self-awareness. We talk a lot about empathy and lack of ego. Um, when I spoke earlier about building the team around you, a good manager, a good leader, will hire people that is actually better than them. Um, a bad manager will be threatened by those people and go, oh, no, thanks very much. You're gonna make, you're gonna make me look bad or you're gonna outshine me. Um, but actually it's all about knowing our own strengths um, and in Belgian terms, what our preferred Belgian team roles are and that we're playing to the strengths of them and actually understanding what we're not so great at, those things we kind of try and avoid and being able to delegate them accordingly um, and, and work together well in a team. So we're filling those gaps when you're, when you, if you have the luxury of building a team around you. Tom, what about your team at the moment? You've been with them a while now doing your friendship. You know, if you were looking at your team overall, what would be sort of strengths and weaknesses of that team? I would say one of the main strengths is whenever we do like a campaign or a project, we can kind of uh, work out which team members will be best 
and then we collect everybody together so we know for example in our team we'll have me and Salah on the social side so we know we need to do that and then we have Phil who does the assets and we need him and then we David and Guy to do the web so every campaign we kind of know from the start exactly who needs to be involved in that campaign I'd say from a weakness point of view in our team altogether the They've been there for 100 and over 100 years in total. So people have kind of got set in their ways about their roles that they do. And they kind of don't want to branch out as much as they want. So I'm probably guilty of that myself, to be honest. I like to stay in the social bubble and the web people like saying their web bubble. And it'd be quite nice in the future if everybody could kind of help each other out. Because there's at times where the workload so much that you could do with just that little bit of helping hand from somebody else. So you can focus on something else. That's probably the main weakness of IT, which will hopefully get better in the future. That's really interesting what you were saying about the resistance to change. And I know one of your top roles, and you said you're possibly guilty of it as well, um, your uh, current top role, and I say current because you're still relatively young and I'm sure this will change along the way, um, but it's an implementer. Um, it's one of my top roles too, Tom, and it means we're very methodical and we like things to be just so, and we, we have a process of doing things and we're probably quite organized and everything's got its place, which is great. Um, the When we talk in Belvin terms, we talk about those wonderful strengths of each role. But for every strength, the flip side is a weakness. Um, and the allowable weakness of an implementer is they can be very resistant to change. It's a case of, well, I have my way of doing and I like it and it works. Um, I don't really want to change it, thanks very much. So it takes them a little bit longer to go over that, you know, the, if you think of the curve of change. Um, so that if you've got a, a high influence implementers in your team, which sounds like you might have, there is going to be that resistance to change. Also, I come across a lot in my work with teams and I work with a huge variety of teams, you know, in global corporate organizations and very small startup companies. And what you often find is that as the team grows and perhaps you might have new people coming in, change being made, the original people start to hang on a minute. You know, we like the way they do things here. We don't need all these new people coming in with their whizzy ideas. And again, that resistance to change comes in. They're very comfortable where they are. They're in their comfort zone. They've been doing this job for quite a few years. Um, and that can be quite dangerous for a team and an organization because things could become, you know, quite stagnant. You know, change is important at times. Not change for the sake of change, but change to keep up the things going on around us. Um, what's going on in the outside world and to make sure not everybody's just plodding along doing their job um, so we need a bit of change and diversity um, in the mix there as well what you don't want is for everybody to sort of become nodding dogs and just get on with it for the sake of doing their job on a day-to-day -day basis um, so that possibly might be going on uh, Tom but it sounds like you've, you've got a good team there um, overall yes absolutely what is the ideal team size? Interesting question. Um, and it's I love this question because um, Meredith Belvin, who obviously, as you know, is the founder of Belvin Team Roles, um, is still very much with us today, 96, um, comes in the office very regularly. Um, but he, from the original studies that were done at Henley many, many years ago, 
Um, and um, I'm speaking to you in, in an exciting time, actually, as we're about to launch the eighth edition of Belvin Team Roles. Um, but going back to the, the question of team size, um, Meredith said at the time um, he believes the perfect team size is four. So it's quite small, isn't it? Lots of other studies have been done since from uh, universities and various other research projects. Um, and they've said six, um, but it's all, you know, maybe eight, but it's keeping it quite small and contained. Now, I actually had a chat with, with um, Meredith Belbin quite recently about this, um, you know, because I've always explained it in the fact that if you think of perhaps a dinner party where you've got six people, Around a dinner dining room table, and they're all having conversations and chats with their with their while they're eating and drinking. And if you suddenly imagine that six other people joined and squidged up at that table, suddenly that six has gone to twelve, and that's going to have a real impact on the conversations going on, what's happening on the table, because suddenly that team's become too big for us all to be focusing on the same goal. Um, and this is what happens with perhaps startups and smaller organizations as they grow quite rapidly. As I was saying before, um, when you've got two, three, four people, you're all got the same objective, you're all after the same thing, um, and you're all working quite busily because there's a small number of you. When that starts to grow and you get to seven, eight, nine, ten, etc., there's always a hiccup in my experience around sort of nine, ten. As I was saying before, the original people start to get a little bit huffy, that new people coming in and trying to change things, and that team becomes too big. They don't know each other well enough to understand each other's Belbin team roles, and that's the key thing. The other point Meredith uh, made was when a team grows too large, what you tend to find is that some people, not always on purpose, go, oh, take a little pressure off now, there's more people doing their job, I can sit back on my laurels a bit and not work quite as hard. So you do tend to find there might be a little bit of an, an imbalance on who's working really, really hard and who's kind of taking a little bit more easy. So that tends to happen as well. But the key thing is really with team size is if you um, are working in a smaller team, you know each other really well, you know the behaviors you are likely to expect from your colleagues, the good, the bad, the ugly here. As a manager, you know what to expect. For example, if you're working with a resource investigator, you know they're going to be very lively and energetic, um, very optimistic, they're going to be great with people. But the not so great side you might see is that they'll get bored quite easily and perhaps not finish things off quite as tidily as they should. There's that lovely, I don't know if you know of this, um, Tom, you may have heard of it from um, Jeff Bezos, um, a lovely quote. He says, if I go into a team meeting and I see more than two pizzas, I know the team's too big. Uh, so they've done a lot of work there as well in terms of what, what makes a good team, what size and qualities, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. So if leadership is in every team role then, is there leadership in everyone? Potentially, I think so. And I think it takes a lot of work though. Um, so if we look at Tom's profile, which I have in front of me, Tom, there we go. I don't know if you know I've got that, but I have, I know all about you now. Um, you know, at the moment, 
um, Tom is showing strong tendencies towards an implementer and a plant. Now, Tom, how long have you been in your apprenticeship? Just remind me. Uh, since September 2020 now, so. Okay, oh gosh, and you've had to go through all the pandemic, so lots of yes. people from home, I presume, and things. Yes. It's an unusual time. Do you think you've changed along the way and grown as an individual? I'll definitely say I have because I remember when I started in my role I felt like a fish out of water it was very scary the unknown but I've kind of adapted and developed and I feel like I definitely have grown as a person I feel more independent now I rely less on my manager support and he trusts me a lot more as well so I can just kind of do everything myself now which I couldn't when I first started so it's definitely a, I definitely feel like I'm a different person from when I started. Brilliant. And I love what you said at first when you said I've definitely grown and developed and that is the key thing. So currently you're a strong implementer. We know, as I said earlier, you, you like process and you're probably quite methodical. But alongside that, you've got this wonderful plant behaviour, which in Melbourne terms is a very creative ideas generator. Um, we, you know, we tend to say they're fabulous at the beginning of a project when you can give them a blank piece of paper and say, off you go. Um, and those of you who know Belgium will know implement and plant are opposites. So if you were working with somebody who's an opposite, there is the potential for conflict there. Um, but actually, if it's in your top two and you're quite self-aware and you're playing to those strengths, you can use them really effectively because the strengths of those two roles could outweigh the weaknesses. So the implementer with their process resistant to change, the plant could actually go, well, actually, let's try something new. Let's be a little bit creative with this. Let's try something a bit different. So it could actually really help. And because I know you've gone through the Belton process, Tom, and I know that you're quite a self-aware person, really try to use that as areas of development for yourself. Um, so back going back to, to Tom's, uh, to the original question, um, is leadership in every role? I think it actually is, it can be, but it needs to take a lot of work. Um, and I always say Belton is known predominantly as a team tool, of course, um, but the work has to start with you. And I say this in every single course that I, I, I facilitate, the work has to start with you. Um, because I go and I you know, have the luxury of working with many different people and teams. And some of these teams I'll go in and you'll go, oh, okay, they're working quite nicely together. Let's just kind of smooth the edges slightly. Other teams I go into and I think, oh my goodness, what's going on here? From the outset, they look okay. Once you start to scratch the surface, there's lots of you know, toxic behaviours, um, a very low psychological safety level, um, communications are broken down. And that's not a good environment for anybody to grow and develop like Tom has been given the opportunity to over the last couple of years. So that's not a good training ground, breeding ground for, um, you know, for our, our future leaders. And ultimately, good leaders, good management will create and nurture other leaders. What that's what they're there for, not just to lead the way and to roll up their sleeves and show all these wonderful behavioural strengths they have, but they are creating the next, you know, um, generation of leaders potentially. So, I've been a bit long-winded in my answer there, but I think yes, all the roles have the potential to. 
perform in you know in leadership roles and be fantastic leaders but they have to be really self-aware have that lack of ego have that empathy and patience and really work on themselves first to be able to then therefore understand why they behave the way they do and then this is the powerful stuff they can really understand why other people behave the way they do. And that's the magic formula into being a great leader. Okay, so to finish off, um, Lisa, what should someone do differently when they're hiring for a role? The most common mistake I see with the organisations that I work with is that people tend to clone recruits or they recruit little mini-me's as such. Um, so we do a lot around culture um, and looking at sort of, you know, there's lots of lovely exercise I do looking at current team and organization culture. Um, and what can tend to happen, I do see this a lot, is I'll go into an organization, they're all very similar. So I mentioned the nodding, nodding dogs earlier to Tom. Um, so they're all going, yeah, 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 because there's a lack of diversity, there's a lack of thinking, because they're all very similar people. They're projecting the same behaviors. Uh, we do a very simple exercise um, called the Belden Team Role Circle, where we map out uh, individuals within a team and we go, OK, the original research from way back in the 70s says, you know, it identified that to have a high performing and balanced team, you need a representation of the nine Belden Team Roles. And we know that doesn't mean nine people that mean that could be as small as four but as long as they have got those roles in their top two or three and they're representing um, the nine roles as best they can if you do this team role circle exercise and we've got big clusters in some of the, the roles that means we've got lots of gaps um, and that's probably not a very good indication on how the team is, is running because we're all too alike. Um, we're all nodding dogs. We haven't got enough diversity. We haven't got enough different voices within that team. So what I would suggest if that's the position you find yourself in is when you're next recruiting is to look at where you've got those gaps. You might be, for example, missing the monitor evaluator behavior, which is very important in weighing up pros and cons, looking at things very strategically and objectively. Um, you might be missing one of our action roles, which is getting things done. It's a bit like Tom was saying earlier, um, people kind of don't like change. They like doing things the way they want to do it. So where's the action and um, getting things done um, in the speed that it needs to be done. If you haven't got the luxury of being able to recruit within your team, um, go through a process like Belbin. Raise that psychological safety within your team as high as you can. So everybody understands why they behave the way they do, why their team colleagues behave the way they do, and why things might not be working out quite as well as it should be. Uh, because once you've gone through that process, you see these light bulbs, light bulbs going ding, 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 ding around you and people suddenly get it. And it's not difficult. It's not difficult at all. But sometimes it's just not presented in the right way to teams. So in terms of recruiting, um, I would say don't always go with a culture fit. Sometimes go with a culture ad um, because that will help you know bring diversity to your team and a different way of thinking which is so often what teams need and tom what will you do differently now to develop in your role 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the things that I need to do is kind of get, do things outside my comfort zone. Like I, I work in digital marketing, but I'm only doing social media and digital marketing covers such a broad aspect of areas. So I'd like to probably learn more about the video side of uh, social media website. I have been trained in that, but I don't have the kind of extensive knowledge that I need to. Uh, photography, I'd like to know how to do that better. GIFs animations, all of that. I, I feel like to become a proper digital marketer as a whole, I need to expand my areas of knowledge and make that leap, which I've kind of been afraid to do in the past, but I know I need to do it now if I want to get to where I want to be in the future. I think also a good um, comment to make here is, um, and I'm just thinking about um, a, a quite a heated debate I had with somebody um, a couple of months ago, and this person um, was the manager of an LMD department, and they said to me, well, I train my leaders to be good at everything, and I was like, oh, really? And how does that go down? How does that roll out? Because actually, that's quite a lot of pressure, isn't it? Because we put our leaders on these pedestals and we think they're like, God, you know, um, you're, you know everything. You're good at everything. You're my leader. You should be able to do everything. But actually, we're just setting them up to fail, I think. So this particular person was saying, well, no, I want them to be good as, as much as they possibly can. Um, and I said, well, let's look at some of their Belgian profiles. Um, and one in particular was a lovely sweeping down they top three roles I think was RI shaper coordinator and then you know bottom roles were complete finisher monitor evaluator and I said to this person if you ask this individual to go and focus on those bottom roles for quite a length of time what do you think is going to happen and she said well I think they'll get better at it and I said well actually they're not going to be very happy there because it's their least preferred roles the roles they're not very comfortable in and actually what you might find is that putting so much energy into those areas because it doesn't come naturally to them that their preferred roles the roles they're really great at and shine at they're going to come down hypothetically on this chart and then they're going to kind of be quite average at everything is that what we want do we want a leader that's quite average everything I don't think so but what do you guys think so thinking about that uh Tom what are your strengths and areas for development um I think one of my key strengths that have developed over the years is my conversational skills and talking to people I think my personality of whole I'm naturally good at talking to people who have never met before and build that report and get that that conversation going. I've always been very good at that. Another area which I've kind of turned from a weakness into a strength is representation skills. In my role, I have to present quarterly reports of social media figures to HR. And I never would have been able to do that a few years ago. But now I've kind of developed that skills and I feel confident talking to people and not being afraid and going in my shell. And my final area that I think I'm strong at is my organisational skills, because in my role, at National Highways, it's a very high pressured role and there's lots of different campaigns and requests coming in. So I've managed, I've managing my time is really important to say what I need to prioritise first and do a list like that. 
think that's really interesting, Tom, because I'm just looking at your profile again. Um, and you, um, when you completed your profile, you asked your colleagues to give you observer feedback. So um, I think you had uh, four colleagues, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and they're actually seeing you much more as a team worker and coordinator, as you see yourself. Um, so that's really good because they're agreeing what you're just saying. I think your social skills are really developing. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of the coordinators, they're both um, social roles. Coordinators very good at sort of understanding people, identifying what people are good at. If you think of they're, they're very good at sort of moving the chess pieces around the board and delegating different different roles. And team worker are very, you know, often the very glue of, of the team um, and very good at listening, um, giving very diplomatic responses they're very fair um and you know everybody loves a team worker so they're definitely seeing that more and i think the wonderful thing with belvin is when your teammates or colleagues um are saying well actually we see this in you and we think you're really good at this and perhaps you haven't seen it yourself it's quite a good psychological effect because it's like somebody giving you a bit of a pat on the back and saying, you know, go and develop that. You're good at it. It's there. So use that as an area of development. And it sounds like you really are. And, you're, you know, those social skills and being able to talk to, uh, you know, different levels of, of colleagues. It sounds like you're sort of really doing yeah. that. And, and I think one of my areas that I'm weak on that I need to develop is um, I'm always worried about conflict and raising issues with people higher up. I think, as you said, it's a psychological thing because I'm an apprentice and they're a manager or slightly higher and have been there in the organiser for a long time. I always have that barrier and a block that I don't want to raise a concern towards them or kind of keep it to myself, which I think in the future I need to get better at that because my point might be crucial to make a reported change that I might have not thought of before. So that's kind of one of the areas that I need to <laughs> say. I, I can talk to them. I won't get told off. I won't get in trouble. Everybody's opinion matters. And so I that, think that, that comes with experience and age. And, um, you know, as you, you work up the ranks, your confidence will grow. But remember, as I said before, you can't be good or amazing at absolutely everything. So work on these wonderful strengths that you have, which you have many, uh, Tom, and develop those. And just be aware of the stuff that you're not so great at and as I said delegate if you can but I think that confidence will grow as you uh, as you continue it sounds like you're doing a really fantastic job oh thank you very much we have had a great discussion today looking at leadership and team formation for our listeners what are your takeaways should anything be done differently when hiring for a role and is there anything you will do differently to develop in your role let us know on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at JGA Group. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on The Learner Zone. And you don't want to miss the next episode of this season, looking at career paths of our panel with top tips for navigating the world of work. I would like to thank my panel today, Lisa and Tom, for their contributions to this episode. I've been Owen Twydale. This has been the JGA 7, and I'll see you next time.